welcome everyone to episode nine of season five of the Northern Spin podcast. My name is Michael Taylor, described recently as veteran business journalist. How do you think that made me feel? Pretty old, I get that as well. By some media whippersnapper. Anyway, I edit thebusinessdesk.com here in the Northwest. As always, I'm joined on the Northern Spin podcast by Chris McGuire. How do you describe yourself? I would describe myself probably as a uh, icon. Um, no, I would describe myself like you as a veteran business veteran. journalist, but somebody oh. who wants to try and do the right thing. Um, and for that very reason, before we do the normal instructions, Michael, I want to get something off my chest. Um, I describe myself as a lowercase C. That's what I was asking you. There was the prompt. There was the prompt. The open goal for you. The open goal, which hopefully I'm going to um, score. Yeah, I would describe myself as a lower C conservative. I'm not ashamed. I think that is a true description of me. Um, however, has there ever been a crueler, nastier, more pernicious, vindictive Home Secretary than Suella Braverman? Now, we all know she's making a clear pitch to be the next leader of the Conservative Party after the Conservatives lose the next general election. We know she pays lip service to the ministerial code. Her solution to the problem of boat crossings is to send people to Rwanda, which is clearly wrong. Her solution to the Israel-Hamas conflict is to describe pro-Palestinian marches as hate marches. And now she's going to go to war on homelessness by saying that homelessness is a lifestyle choice and she's going to tackle the problem of tents on our streets. Um, Suella Braverman doesn't come up with solutions, only red meat rhetoric to appease the right wing of the party is absolutely shameful. Well, thanks for saying all of that, Chris. I, I could make light of that. I could use it as a opportunity for a bit of banter between us from left to right, but I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go there because I totally agree with what you say. And I'd extend that charge of pettiness and dangerous posturing, not only right across the Tory party in this country, but across many other conservative parties and right of centre parties around the Western world. You know, it's we saw it with Trump. We saw where that ended up with that culture war rhetoric that ends up with thousands of people storming the Capitol building and people losing their lives. I think it's a really, really dangerous time. And you're right. I'm glad you're taking a stance against that. And good luck to you mm. in tidying up the Conservative Party. How's everything else in your life? All good. We had some great feedback last week about the podcast from Simon Kai, who's always been a man of impeccable taste. He works at Safri. I promised to give him a shout out. So hello, Simon. I also come bearing a very, very early Christmas present. Okay, but we're recording this on November the 6th. I've still got the smell of gunpowder in my hair. What yeah. hair I've got left um, from firework night like last night. What was it like in Chorley? Because in Marple, it was like, well, I'm not going to say what it was like because it's distasteful, but yeah. it my actual, my actual comment, Rachel's comment was, oh, just grow up. You know what I couldn't understand? A, it went on for about a week, but yeah. uh, we were driving back from Liverpool yesterday and there were fireworks going off during the day. And I thought, what's the point of a firework going off during the day? Um, we are wearing our poppies with pride. Obviously, it's the, right. um, it's the week. Um, and, uh, but but I'm, I come bearing an early Christmas present. As you know, next week's episode will be the final episode of season five of Northern Spin. And we weren't due back with a new look season six until 2024. Sounds a long way off when you say it like that. I know it does, yeah. Anyway, what we're going to be doing in the new year and uh, what we're going to be doing before Christmas is a preview. Preview of the year ahead and also a review of the year that we've had because it'll be our first full year as the Northern Spin podcast. We'll be featuring some of the interviews that we've done over the course of the year and also some of the insights and predictions, things we got right, 
and things we got wrong. I think it's a nice thing to reflect back on the year as well for us, as well as our listeners as well. So that's our gift to you. But we've got more gifts today. No, we have indeed. So uh, we've got a few things to talk about this week. Given the Elon Musk Rishi Sunak loving at the Global AI Safety Summit at Bletchley Park, we're going to be providing some insights into the increasingly complex relationship between politics and business and the role of lobbyists yep. and why it, why is it that politicians make such a play for the business vote when actually it's quite small isn't it but it's significant yep. um i'm going to uh, i'm looking forward to that the israel hamas conflict you know what it's it was only a month since that horrendous terrorist attack by Hamas um, on that killed 1400 um, Jews that was October the 7th it's absolutely dominated and Arabs uh, and Arabs yeah uh, it's absolutely dominated the uh, headlines ever since um, however the conflict has really stepped up in the north um, with uh, two council leaders in the region calling for Keir Starmer to resign um, over over his policy and a Labour MP in the north having the whip removed from him I think Starmer's facing a serious test and we're going to talk about that yeah we're also going to be talking about some of the shameful disclosures at the covid inquiry we know that boris johnson was incompetent i think none of it's come as any great revelation that he was utterly utterly unfit to lead this country at a time of crisis like that but even i was shocked at the nature of some of the revelations and the way in which people in government conducted themselves but before all of that a few thank yous, starting with our award-winning producers, What Media, who produces podcasts every week. They recently won the Best Travel Tech Provider at the Global Youth Travel Awards in Lisbon. Congratulations. Absolutely. Well yeah. done to them. I'd like to thank our headline sponsors, FI Real Estate Management, FI Real Estate Management, headquartered in Chorley. They have a network of properties across the UK, which tenants can tap into. They can cater for everyone from a one-man band, working from home and needing space to enterprise customers, wanting a whole building. They don't just work in one sector. They work across the office, commercial and industrial markets as well. FI Real Estate Management has been going for 40 years now. They pride themselves on growing with their customers on their journey. If you do need any space, contact FI. And the name in the frame is Matthew Pickles. Oh, that was good. Absolutely. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, thank you, sir. FI Real Estate Management. Right, we are the Northern Spin Podcast. And after last week's deep dive into the BBC... I thought we should look into the relationship between business and politics, given that we're both business journalists. You're a veteran business journalist. I'm a veteran, indeed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think on the whole, you know, it's a necessary part of public life. We do live in a market economy. It's important that, um, that businesses are not only regulated, but also, you know, that there's a strategy that gives them some indication about what activities they can do that can contribute to the public good. That's the job of politicians after all. But... Um, I thought we could also offer some insights and some examples and also to flag up where it can be quite grubby from time to time. Well, let's start with something current. You must have been absolutely delighted at the love-in between Elon Musk and Rishi Sunak. A couple of tech bros in their, yeah. in their gilets yeah. and their, and their I think, Patagonia um, sweatshirts. It's interesting because um, it's like, you know, the Conservatives will complain about pretty much everything. And a number of Conservatives are unhappy at that budding bromance between uh, Rishi Sunak and Elon Musk. <coughs> we have a section in the podcast called On Manoeuvres. And I would definitely put Sunak in that because his appearance at the AI conference was like a job interview for a big tech job in Silicon Valley, which he clearly wants after his uh, reign as Prime Minister comes to an end. I think Sunak looks so much more comfortable and natural and happy when he is with his tech bros rather than at the dispatch box in the House of Commons. I should set the scene. There's nothing wrong 
with businesses and politicians having a good relationship. I think that's really important. You went to Labour's party conference in Liverpool and that was a wash, wasn't it? Yeah. With businesses. Blue suits abound, I think was my headline. Yeah, but that to... wasn't always the case, was it, in terms no. of the Labour conference? No, definitely. No, I think the most prominent sartorial um, thing at Labour conference in about 2018 was probably a Palestinian flag wrap round you. How times have changed. How times have changed. And I'm, I'm glad about that. Last week, I interviewed Matt Scullion, who's the chief exec of a Manchester-based tech firm called Matillion. It's a unicorn. It's got a valuation of $1 billion US dollars. He was telling me that he regularly gets invited to Downing Street to discuss the tech sector. He actually wow. said he finds it quite sad because he said, in the bigger scheme of things, he said, we are one of the biggest players in the tech sector in the UK. But if you compare us to the US, we're so much smaller. And he wants to see that net spread even further. Um, next week, we've got Luke Cordwell. OBE, who is the chair of Greater Manchester Business Board, so she'll be our special guest. So we'll talk to her about the relationship between, you know, business and and politics as well. The problem for me is when that relationship between business and politics is muddied and there's no transparency. Okay, so obviously we both cover the business world in the north. We both put on events where politicians are speakers. I've also worked in the education sector in a role where I liaise regularly with politicians to try and influence them and to, to, to know good examples of good practice in the, in the university sector, particularly how it liaises with business, which is important to them. And I used to train academics in, uh, in how to have an impact on policy, something that they're act, actually measured on. Now, last week, the businessdesk.com held a conference in Leeds called the Business of Yorkshire. Star billing was given to two Yorkshire politicians, the mayors, Tracy Braben in West Yorkshire and Oliver Coppard in South Yorkshire. Now, the South Yorkshire Metro Mayor said at the conference, the fact that both of us are sharing a platform today is a sign of our shared commitment to making Yorkshire the best place in the whole country to start up, scale up and invest. I mean, that's a really direct plea to business to work, you know? And there aren't many votes in that, are there? Similarly, Tracy Braben, she said, it's impossible for policymakers sat in Whitehall and Westminster to get this right because they're too distant. And she had a vision for a brighter Yorkshire that works for all and successful businesses to be at the heart of that vision. Also in the... Um, in the north last week was Keir Starmer, who was in the northeast, speaking to their Chamber of Commerce, saying he would bring forward a modern industrial strategy to work hand in glove with the private sector, invest in the potential of regions like this and win the race for the jobs of the future. The job of the government, as I see it, is to set a strategy. And he pointed out that the government's industrial strategy, if you go to the department's website and look for it, you find the industrial strategy. It's got a stamp across the top of it that says archived. Uh, um, so do, do you think business, do you think they should have an industrial strategy? Or do you just think they should let business get on with it? Because that's the danger. Isn't no, it? you want it to provide a framework in which business can operate. And you actually want, you know, business friendly legislation. Um, at the moment, we're paying a huge level of tax. Corporation tax has just increased as well. I mean, it's it's not an easy place to run a business right now. One thing I do want to ask you, actually, is, you know, given your insight, is how do you think Oliver Coppard and Tracy Braben, you know, come across in terms of their cut through? Because so much stuff, and we, we talk about it, we're guilty of it as well, we're talking about Andy Burnham. Um, I mean, Oliver Coppard hasn't got the wheels, the machinery behind him that Andy Burnham has. Tracy Braben has got more than, than Oliver Coppard. How did they come across? They come across well. I mean, they're very capable politicians. I think the difference is that they don't have the, the same levers to pull that Andy Burnham has. You know, he, he's creating a new transport system. He's got power over the, the skills system. Um, he's done some very high visible um He's taken on some really high visibility issues like tackling street homelessness. You could argue at 
the moment, not that successfully because of things that are actually out of his control. I, th I think he's a far better retail politician than they are. You know, yeah. he's, he has a higher platform. I think he's a he's a better communicator. Um, but they're making a decent stab at it. I mean, they, they, they both performed very well at our conference last week. Yeah, no, and also Andy Street performs really well down in the West Midlands as well. But if you're talking about Metro Mayors who are really getting some cut through, you say Andy Street and Andy Burnham as well. But um, no, I just wanted to get that that insight off you. Yeah, not at all. No, 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 thank you. Um, I've read a piece actually uh, on the way here today about uh, from Jeremy Warner in the Daily Telegraph saying that business has got its eye off the ball. And it seemed very consistent with something that Kemi Badenoch said, which is saying that businesses, they should be focused on profit, that they uh, that their obsession with ESG, uh, you know, which is environmental, societal, and, um, and governance goals, was getting in the way of them achieving profitability, taking their eye off the ball. Uh, I just wondered, wondered what you think, because you, you must write about businesses in the tech sector all the time that, are really committed to the ESG agenda. Do you think that is undermining and do and do you think their commitment to that makes them part of the anti-growth coalition that Liz Truss has identified? Yes, it's the anti-growth coalition. <laughs> well, one of the things that's quite interesting is how you're perceived and we do a lot of um, we do a lot of work with private equity and we do a lot of stories about companies that have invested in private equity. Um, and one of the things they have at the top of the list of their priorities is ESG. So can their investee companies demonstrate that they're taking the environment seriously? Um, but a lot of their suppliers and a lot of their customers, I went to a, and I digress very briefly because I'm mindful of the time. I went to a play at the uh, weekend on Friday and I'm not a cultural animal, but this was a play put on by students. And the premise behind it is that um, these students uh, are in a classroom. They're 16 years of age, okay, and a load of defendants come forward. And they're people like me and you right now who have to defend their approach to climate change and what we've done to save the environment. And if we don't think they've done enough, then they die. It's as graphic as that. And actually, I thought to myself, if I was to stand in front of my children... 10 years from now and explain what I've done about the environment, I would be, I would be found guilty. Um, I think in terms of companies, I think there is a, they talk, they call it greenwashing, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but, but are they committed to it? Yeah. I'm not so sure. Well, we used to be quite skeptical about it. You know, about 15 years ago, I was genuinely quite skeptical about a lot of the, um, the, the way that business conducted itself and the way it embraced things like, um, corporate social responsibility and I actually called it the icing on the turd yeah because quite often there were businesses who have no right to, to burnish their green or environmental or societal credentials because actually they were just using it to to give themselves a good public face anyway um it is an interesting strategy from the left of politics to be cozying up to business you know that I've given you three examples there yeah. of the two mayors I think Andy Burnham does it as well uh, just as well uh, Keir Starmer's made a massive play to have an industrial strategy to cozy up to business. It's not always been the view, though, has it? And it, I don't see a massive clamouring, apart from in the Daily Telegraph, possibly, definitely not in the FT, yeah. uh, of businesses to adapt a more laissez-faire free market approach and to let businesses do what they want whenever they want, even though we're going to hear from Rishi Sunak this week that he's probably going to allow more drilling in the North Sea for oil. One of the reasons I describe myself as a small case C conservative is that I've never felt Labour 
um, have been business friendly. I think I think you would argue that under Tony Blair it was slightly different. I think more recently Jamie Corbyn and Ed Miliband didn't have a very good relationship with business. I think part of that is the Labour psyche that wealth creation is wrong. I don't think wealth creation is wrong, providing it's distributed um, the right way. I think Starmer recognises this, and um, you know, in the last two or three years, he's been working behind the scenes with Rachel Reeves, his Chancellor, his Shadow Chancellor, your mate Johnny Reynolds. They've held regular roundtables. You've been involved in some with business leaders. So I do think there's a lot of soft touch politics going on with business. And, and ultimately, if you look at our economy and you look at our problems with productivity, if we're going to drive that forward, it's going to be on the back of business being more productive. So, so why would you, you know, why would you yeah. alienate that share yeah, I mean, of the vote? I remember a lot of the rhetoric around the Greater Manchester Good Employment Charter when Andy Burnham was trying to sell it both to businesses and to trade unions. And the wording was very carefully chosen around that. Um, it was to be pro pro-business inevitably, but also to say it's in their interest to have a stable, well-paid workforce to increase the, the level of money in the economy. It's, it's a tough ask, you know, to ask yeah. business to pay higher wages. But, you know, we see what happens when businesses don't pay good wages and what their reputation does. I've led our news service this week on a story around the BBC's treatment of a Manchester business, Boohoo.com, who have been accused once again of... Um, really, really putting the screw on their suppliers and, and the implications of that. It's interesting. I'm going to just tell you a quick story about Johnny Reynolds. He wrote a really interesting um, blog post in the aftermath of Labour's election defeat in 2015, saying, saying that, frankly, a lot of people in the Labour Party would prefer it if everybody just worked for the NHS, yeah. you know, as a way of describing their kind of discomfort with um, the, the private sector. And my own academic research about how Andy Burnham's mayoral authority established itself and built networks was a lot of it was around the engagement with the business community. You know, you'll have experienced yourself his connections and relationships and the effort he's put in to wooing the business community and around around his different pillars and different strategies, including tech and digital, which is massively important to him. Well, because he recognises the value of collaboration and that's something Manchester's done for a really good, uh, you know, for a long time. Tim Healy is a good example. He's the founder of a property company called Ca um, Capital and Centric. He featured on his own TV programme. He's a great guy, actually. He's the chair of Greater Manchester Mayor's Charity. Now, by leveraging his contacts, he's helped raise millions of pounds to tackle the problem of homelessness. You mentioned homelessness and the difficult job that it is to try and, uh, the, the problem to try and fix. You know, there's a situation going to come up fairly soon in Greater Manchester where thousands of asylum seekers are going to get their applications um, decided in the next weeks or months. If they, you know, and that, depending on the outcome of that, is going to create a huge new demand for homes in Greater Manchester. That in itself could create more homelessness. And then you've got Suella Braveman coming out with this outrageous statement. Yeah. Um, the problem, as always, is there's no transparency. And there's a couple of examples which I would highlight, and you've mentioned before, actually, where, you know, it creates this impression that, you know, businesses have got their snouts in the trough. In my opinion, most businesses haven't got their snouts in the trough, but the worst offenders um, are making it really bad for everyone else. Yeah, yeah, I guess it comes down to grace and favours, doesn't it? You know, who who sits on different boards and what do they get out of it, yeah? Yeah. Where are the conflicts of interest and how are they managed? You know, if a business cozies up to... Uh, a politician, be they in central government, regional government, cities, you know, if they donate to parties, I think that 
businesses are very, very sensitive about doing that and very mindful about how that can come across. It looks like they're getting special treatment. You know, look at all the stuff around the COVID inquiry that's going to be coming out uh, around P PPI. Is it P no, PPE? Yeah. PPE, PPI is yeah. something completely different. Yeah. Um, and when businesses want something in return for their close relationship with politicians, that's when it starts to get really murky. And you've got some good examples of that, haven't you? Well, I mean, you know, you can look at the whole situation with David Cameron and the way he's been uh, lobbying as well. But the one that I would have going to mention is uh, Teesside Mayor Ben Blocker-Houchin, who, uh, for those new listeners to the podcast, has blocked us on social media. Um, his Teesside's Works project, which is something that, uh, sorry, the Tees Work project, which is something that he's place great weight on being heavily investigated by private eye it centers really and, on and the, the role financial times. and the financial times um jen williams yeah it centers really on the role of private developers and the fact that they've taken more money out than they've put in a lot more housing's always denied any wrongdoing out of the developers but i think it highlights what can happen when there's no transparency and the other one that you just sort of touched upon it michelle moan you know oh. she received 29 million pound from the vip lane ppe um, firm during COVID as well, and and we, we we haven't got any answer to that. And she's she's a peer. Yeah. So I do. You, do you think at the moment then that um, Labour are dangling favours in front of business, or do you think that they're getting the the message of partnership right? Do you, do, or do you think it's got the risk that it could look quite sleazy? What's your what's 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 your gut telling you? About no, my this? gut's telling me that. If they're going to be taken seriously as a party of government, they have to have a good relationship with the business community. Yeah. Now, that's not the same as what Boris Johnson did, where he, um, you know, you know, he saw cozies on up to Russia and uh, and, and 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 stuff like that, uh, and he, you know, cozied on up to rich entrepreneurs. That's that's horrendous, and the whole situation with the VIP lane during COVID. But but I do think that Labour is trying to set itself apart as a party of integrity. You know, something that. Really Shisunak spoke about and if they don't do that and if they seem to be doing deals in grubby you know corners of corridors they'll come unstuck but uh, that's speculation on yeah, our part yeah i think there were plenty of examples in the uh, in the new labor years of business cozying up to labor and wanting special favors in return mm. remember the bernie eccleston scandal back in 1998 mm. around cigarette advertising for formula one yeah there, there were plenty of examples weren't there and property yeah. developers yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I think uh, watch this. Watch this space with interest. I think it's fair to say Sir Keir Starmer's got quite a few other problems on his. Uh, well, yeah, intro. that's right. I know you want to talk about the growing pressure on Sir Keir Starmer over his handling of the Israel-Hamas conflict. Yeah, you you mentioned earlier that he was in Sunderland last week. He was at a soft drinks manufacturer. He's pitched in front of the words "clearly drinks," which is one of those things where his uh, special advisor needs to say, "Keir, don't stand in front of that picture, otherwise it'll look really <laughs> bad." It's like a football manager when he goes out the exit door. You know, the press are like geared the photographers want that picture yeah he must feel like a drink at the moment he must yeah yeah but anyway starmer's speech to the northeast chamber of commerce can be summed up like this the tories have let the north down over 13 years labor won't but as ever that message was drowned out by reverberations from the middle east just give us a a quick recap on what happened and and what new developments have happened overnight. Yeah, the um, I think probably five, four or five things. Bernie Council leader um, Afrasiab Anwar and uh, Azjad Mahmood, who is the leader of Pendleborough Council, have called on Sir Keir Starmer to resign as party leader for uh, refusing to back a Gaza ceasefire. Middlesbrough MP Andy McDonald, who's an ally of Jeremy Corbyn, he had the party whip removed for him for his River to the Sea speech, which is hugely provocative.
provocative at the uh, pro-Palestine rally or a pro-Palestine rally. Um, you know, McDonald is now threatening to sue Chris Clarkson, who's a Tory MP for Hayward and Middleton, who's gone really, really quiet for ages. Now, suddenly he's piped up. He claims that McDonald has sought to, quote, justify the murderous actions of Hamas, something McDonald says clearly wasn't the case. There was a poll by a company called Savanta UK. I think it's interesting because it said uh, poll 618 Labour councillors and found that 43% are dissatisfied over their leadership's position on Israel and Palestine. And I think Starmer, in recognition of that, did try to uh, set out Labour's position and resisted calls for a ceasefire, saying it would embolden Hamas and effectively just freeze the status quo as where we are rather than come up with a long-term solution. I think it puts a lot of pressure on Starmer. And, uh, and there's no question, I think, well, in my view, I think it weakens his position in the north, but I think he's in an unwinnable position here, isn't he? Um, no, I, th I think he's walking a tightrope. I don't think it's unwinnable or unsalvageable. Um, I think the calls for him to resign are overblown. I th as I understand it, one of those council leaders, in fact, several councillors in Burnley have actually left the Labour Party. I think it shows what's happening on the street, really, with, uh, with particularly with the Muslim community in, the, in, uh, in, in certain communities across the north. So I was out in Manchester on Saturday and there was a huge presence of a pro-Palestinian demonstrators right on the streets, not just in a rally outside the library that I saw at about one o'clock, all around the centre, all afternoon, occupying Piccadilly Station at 4pm, then marching around, uh, singing, waving flags. It was peaceful. It, 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 I don't. It's easy for me to say I wasn't intimidated because I'm, a, you know, I'm a, I'm a skinhead in my fifties. You know, mm. I don't know how it would feel if you're a Jewish family out shopping on Saturday, and and I'm I'm sure that if we if there were any instances of intimidation, we'd have heard about it. But it is a real show of strength in the Muslim community about an issue that is really really important to them. And as I said, Keir Starmer is walking a tightrope on this. I think the spectre that haunts the Labour Party over any issue with the Muslim community is the spectre of George Galloway and his respect party or whatever vehicle he chooses to create. Um, and, and, and potentially, you know, an electoral threat in up to a dozen seats around mm. the country. Um, here's the thing, though, Chris, what difference and what notice will any British politician calling for a ceasefire have on the Israeli military at the moment, I'll tell you, zero. It will make less than zero impact, whatever an opposition politician in this country said. It's purely performative. I can't believe people are, uh, are overblowing the importance of Labour's position on this one, or even the British government's. No, I agree. Sunak I agree. No, even if Rishi Sunak said we demand a ceasefire, it it really wouldn't change the mind of Netanyahu. No. And just 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 to finish on this one. I think there will be also core swing voters who don't like to see demonstrators on the TV, um, particularly as we're building up to um, uh, Remembrance Sunday this week. Mm. There has been talk on the news that you know there'll be dem that we can't have a Senate we can't have a cenotaph procession this year because we're letting the Palestinians have their march. I mean, it's not true, but that is spreading like wildfire around mainstream Britain. The Daily Mail, all that sort of thing. The, this, and those, peop those people who are the sort of people who Keir Starmer absolutely needs on side to win the election, he needs them to not be spooked by these demonstrators and to, and to think that he's a weather vane that he's switched over to them. It's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, this isn't just about 
Labour because, I mean, the Conservatives... Yeah, so tell us about the impact on the Tories well, as well. Well, Rishi Sunak sacked Paul Bristow as the MP for Peterborough. He's a parliamentary private secretary. He wrote a letter calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Now, it's worth making a point that Bristow was part of the 2019 intake, so his constituency has got twice as many Muslim uh, voters as the national average as well. So y- you could argue, I'm not saying this is the case, that clearly his sacking suits Rishi Sunak, and it probably suits... Paul Bristow as well. Um, we're going to talk yeah. about COVID, aren't we? Yeah, we are. So tell us about the COVID inquiry and who was giving evidence last week. And what did you think as a as a as a conservative supporter? Lowercase C, lowercase C conservative <laughs> supporter. I was. Um, what, what did you think of it? I don't want to sound like a fifty-one-year-old uh, guy who just says I was sickened. I was appalled. It was shameful. Um, but I, you were I think appalled, I was all of the above, and yeah. I just want to. I, I want to rise above that as well. On the eve of Dominic Cummings' explicitive-laden evidence, the families of COVID victims, they went up to um, Barnard Castle, where famously Dominic Cummings went for his drive to test his eyesight, and they projected this image, which was two hundred thirty-one thousand three hundred thirty-two COVID deaths. Is that clear enough to read on the? walls of Barnard Castle. That's in reference to all the people that died during COVID as well. Let's not forget the 231,332 people lost their lives to COVID, including, um, you know, my uncle. So I think um, we all knew that Cummings swears a lot. I mean, the fact he was appointed into uh, the position that he was by Boris Johnson is a sad indictment of his, um, you know, his his judgment in people. Um, I think once again, it highlighted that we had an incompetent prime minister in Boris Johnson. But there was a really interesting point. Um, Helen McNamara, the former deputy cabinet secretary, was one of those on the end of one of uh, Cummings's four letter, um, you know, insults. And the impression that I get is that there was this highly testosterone-charged machine at 10 Downing Street, which basically attempted to shut women up. And I think the UK's, mm. and the number of women who who actually stood at the daily press conference as well, was 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 negligible. Yeah, and is it any wonder that the UK's COVID response was so poor if we if we shut out such a huge swathe of public opinion? Yeah, and I, I think there's a couple of more things to come out of this. One is, I, I was as appalled as you, as you were. I think we always knew that there was a horrific rabble of self-centered narcissists at the heart of government. That's nothing new. But here's the thing, Chris. Rishi Sunak supported them. He was part, he was at the absolute heart of the government, this government of gimmickry. More is going to come out about him in particular. You know, Boris Johnson at times saying, let the bodies pile high. You know, his personal obsession with brand, um, the eat out to help out the virus um, thing that he did in, in that August as we were coming out of lockdowns. But anyway, more to come on all of that. But let's go to a quick break and hear all about our sponsor, Assets Capital. <music> Assets Capital is a leading Manchester-based independent specialist lender who, for the last 10 years, have supported UK SME, house builders, property investors and business owners to achieve their ambitions. Having lent over $1.7 to date and with ambitious growth plans, assets are well on their way to breaking through the $2 billion of lending as they embark on the next phase of their journey. They have a dedicated team of property professionals and lending specialists who pride themselves on getting to know their customers and being with them on every step of the journey. If you need a straightforward, no-nonsense lending partner with a proven track record, contact Andrew Charnley and the team at Assets Capital. Big enough to matter, small enough to care.
Welcome back to part two of Northern Spin and our regular features, anything to see here and on manoeuvres. Right, Chris, where do we want to go first? Well, one of the things we want to do with Northern Spin is highlight stories in the north that would otherwise be missed. And we've spoken about COVID, we've spoken about Israel, we've spoken about and, and uh, Palestine. Um, but last week, the Tories did a huge screeching U-turn. Can we have a screeching U-turn sound effect, please, <laughs> um, to our friends at What Media, on plans that would have closed the vast majority of railway station ticket offices in the north of England in a cost-cutting measure. It's something, actually, that Andy Burnham railed against when pardon the pun when we uh, when we spoke to him the plans would have left just 27 ticket offices in the north of england anything to see here michael yeah i can't believe the tories even attempted this in september sunak said closing ticket offices was the right thing for the british public and british taxpayers yeah. and only one in tickets are currently sold at ticket offices i mean i gave the big thumbs up to our ticket office this morning on my way in even though i'd already bought it on the app but it's not the point it's not always just about me it's about other people who, who ne don't necessarily have smartphones and can use it and they can get some support around the railway station as well transport secretary mark harper had the absolute brass neck to say that he's told the rail industry to rethink their proposals and they're absolutely fuming apparently that um, they were effectively told to do this by the Ministry of Transport, put some plans in place, and then the government realised the politics of it are bad and do a refer reverse ferret on it. It's also handed an advantage to the people's champion, Mick Lynch. I mean, what an absolute turn that is, that suddenly we've got a union leader who looks like he's on the side of the public. My wife went to the railway station in Buckshaw Village, uh, which is near Chorley, and uh, they've got a machine there, and they've always had a ticket office. Now, that ticket office, for whatever reason, was closed, and there was a queue of people people 10 deep trying to use the ticket machine and that's just that's just one very small example i know yeah. you like a much bigger pool of people to, before you <laughs> constitute an opinion um, crisis I'm on gonna, the railways Same i'm gonna give you family. it says uh, no um no i'm gonna give you another name actually um scott patient now scott mm -hmm. patient is a councillor with calderdale council out towards west yorkshire he's hit out after being excluded from labor's long list for the calder valley seat in west yorkshire he took to twitter uh, now known as x uh, to vent his frustration and deep sadness signing off which I thought was quite amusing yours in solidarity oh they get his fist up anything uh -huh. to see here well, yeah, we've talked about this so many times. The process to select Labour candidates in the next general election has shown how ruthless Keir Starmer and his core team in um, Labour in Millbank in their head office can be. He's not leaving anything to chance and there's no let up in the rigour that they're applying to scrutinise candidates to get their people in place and to make sure that the shortlist that local members choose are between candidates that they're happy with. Here's the thing, though, Chris, and I know I keep saying that. Yeah. I'll try okay. another way to segue. Okay. If Labour have a small majority at the next general election, the importance of the awkward left, people like Zara Sultana, um, John McDonnell, or whoever succeeds Diane Abbott, people on the left in politics, Richard Bergen, yeah. the size of the, the, their importance and the compromises Starmer will have to do to get their support for Labour's programme of government is going to be crucial. The bigger the, the majority that they've got, 
it lessens their impact. No, and you're exactly right. Yeah, and he's like he's talking about ten years of of uh, a minimum ten years of uh, being in charge. You know, the Labour Party have similarly intervened in a number of uh, candidate selections in Wakefield, Bolton, and Cumbria. I always, when we do the Northern Spin, I always try and you know look across the north and not just uh, Greater Manchester. Um, so nothing new here. People say to me, Starmer's a weak leader, and I say actually the perception might be that he's a weak leader, but behind the scenes he's actually he's actually quite an iron-fisted leader as well, and he yeah. makes these decisions. Um, yeah, who else we got on manoeuvres then? Well, I mentioned uh, Suella Braveman, Rishi Sunak, Chris Clarkson in part one. For different reasons, they could all be on, on manoeuvres as well. I think there's going to be a lot of manoeuvring, which is why I've included it in on manoeuvres around the uh, King's Beach, which is on Tuesday. We're recording this on Monday as well. There's been a lot of stuff over the weekend in the uh, Sunday media as to what we can expect. This is going to be the last throw of the die before the general election, we think. Um, somebody said that if it's a if there's a lot of announcements, that would suggest that Rishi Sunak's thinking about a whole year before he calls an election. And if there's not, he's probably looking at the middle of next year. I think we're going to see something about the renters' reform bill. Um, I also think we're going to see something that's going to play to the uh, justice you know so don't be surprised to see judges forcing prisoners to attend their sentencing hearing and um, there's been a lot of talk about high speed too obviously Sunak kicked it into the long grass well he kicked it beyond that actually when he did his conference in he Manchester it, didn't yeah he, he basically yeah. cancelled it Andy Burnham is among those calling for high speed two to be brought back to ensure that the Piccadilly airport link gets built along with the northern powerhouse rail um, but the thought is that there's not even going to be a transport bill within the uh, King's speech mm. What do you think? Yeah, I think even if HS2 goes, and clearly it will be doing, there's still a need for a city like Manchester to upgrade its transport. The whole uh, Whitworth Street corridor, for example, between Castlefield and uh, and Piccadilly Station is, you know, freight trains going along that. It's it's very tight and crowded. Um, it's keeping the debate. I think Andy Burnham's keeping the debate alive about uh, the potential for Piccadilly, Piccadilly Station. I think that's a big project. And he's probably uh, cracking his knuckles for a future scrap with a fiscally tight Labour government. Yeah, no. I'm glad you mentioned Andy Burnham because a video of him on our new TikTok channel has had over 4,000 views. Yeah, absolutely. What are the comments like? I bet they're not so polite, are they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they're, um, the thing is, the thing is, we, we're both trying to understand TikTok. You know, we're not the TikTok generation as well. But there's a lot of people really energised about politics, younger people. And um, yeah, Andy Burnham, love him or hate him, he, he does he does generate opinions. Not many um, people hate him, do they really? No, not many people. Certainly not in the north. Maybe down, uh, <laughs> maybe down at Millbank, maybe. Anyway, let's go for a quick break. I've always believed that a vibrant media sits at the heart of any community and the business community is no different. So if you're in business, then the businessdesk.com is for you. We're up with the lark every morning to bring you the day's business news. We have regular events, credible news, and lots and lots of other events to bring people in the business community together. So log on now, thebusinessdesk.com for all your regional news. Welcome back to part three of Northern Spin. This is the bit we like to call the fun bit. And the, uh, the subcurrent running through it is that Chris from Kent has lived in the North a long time. This is the Northern Spin podcast. I'm Northern born and bred and raised. And we're trying to get you to be a bit more culturally Northern. 
Absolutely, yeah. And I went to a place uh, on Sunday, actually, on Saturday, Barley in uh, East Lancashire near okay. Burnley. Pendle Witches? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And uh, you know what really stood out for me? We went for a walk and we went to a cafe and we got a, a pot of tea, a hot chocolate and a flapjack, £5.50. And yeah, right. when I went to Costa on the M6, 10 quid for two. That's <sighs> what I love about uh, yeah. the North. Fantastic. Now, we're going to talk about... Yeah, we did. So I went to see, and it turned out you did as well. Not together. Killers of the Flower Moon. So I went to the Regent Cinema in Marple, which is a one screen, very old, always has an intermission. And yet this film has an intermission all of its own. You will have had one even at the UCI Multiplex in Bolton or wherever you you, went. Did you go three and a half hours without going to the toilet? No. Because it was a long time. It was yeah. a long old film. So I really enjoyed Killers of the Flower Moon. I thought the performances by Robert De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio and Lily Gladstone were incredible. It was long, but it was so rich, so atmospheric, multi-layered. And it really does justice to an epic true crime story without ever, I feel, being overly sentimental. All the performances from those from the three leads in it were breathtakingly good. But I will single out one of my favourite actors, Robert De Niro, for an incredible performance. Yeah, and very much... Well, uh, well known as well for promoting crumpets for Warburton's. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, He's, uh, he's 80 now. In fact, he had, a, he had his seventh child earlier this year as well. Um, very much a Martin Scorsese film um, of that genre. No, I yeah, really liked it, actually. And it's a sort of film that only works in the cinema. What I did notice, and was, the, um, was it packed? No. No, because it when I... It was busy, yeah, but not packed. Because not I, like James Bond or... In fact, the, what, what I call peak Regent Cinema for us in, in where we live is things like the Great Marigold Hotel. Yeah. Anything starring Bill Nye or Judi Dench <laughs> does really well at the Regent in Marple. Yeah, no, it was, it was so a great it was a, film. a brave choice from Edwin, the cinema manager. Yeah, and I thought it was a... Yeah, but but when, I left the, when I left the audience, uh, when I left the auditorium, I looked at the audience older audience um, but uh, I can well recommend it I watched um, we mentioned the BBC last week in our podcast and uh, I decided to watch Time which is a, uh, a three-parter with Jodie Whittaker who's the former Doctor Who fantastic it's a um, it's the second actually series because the first one is about the men's prisons this is about the women's that's right. prisons that's all with Stephen Graham and uh, uh, Sean, Sean Bean, Bean in yeah, a men's prison that Incredible. was superb but I watched this one wow is it good and, yeah excellent really good I mean don't get me wrong you know like you know you people get brought to court within about five minutes so and also would somebody have been taken to prison for fiddling the lecky I'm not sure but it was just really really powerful really really thought provoking um, been a thought provoking week as I mentioned earlier I went to that uh, climate change play which I thought was fantastic but talking about thought provoking you went to the home of uh, uh, you know the home of football you went to Manchester United at the weekend I did I had the job of entertaining my two teenage nephews in Manchester on Saturday they hadn't been to the city centre before so they rode the tram uh, down to Old Trafford to Man United for a stadium tour which was quite good actually yeah. I, I genuinely quite enjoyed it I mean I enjoy being in their company more than anything we did the dugouts the tunnel the press gallery and here's the one we also saw a mural outside the stadium just off Warwick Road of Mary Earps on the side of a house you know like kind of Belfast style big mural mm. with Welcome to Manchester with Mary Earps on it she also had her goalies jersey up in the dressing room as well because the City United derby is going to women's 
game is going to be at Old Trafford, isn't it? Um, yeah, well, it's, certainly, it's, it's certainly coming up as well. Here's a question for you. A lot of people who've never been to Old Trafford before, the first time they go, they're amazed by it. I think it's absolutely amazing and atmospheric. And, you know, I remember the first time I went to it and the hair on the back of my neck stood up. If you go a lot, you realise, actually, this is so far away from, like, Tottenham Stadium. And mm. it's, yeah. it's falling apart. Yeah, yeah. Was Obviously, we didn't, we didn't go to a game. We no. just went for a tour. But was that your, yeah. what was their impression? Uh, they didn't think they'd been to the stadium tour at Liverpool during their half term in the week and they thought Liverpool stadium was um, much tidier and slicker yeah. but the, the Liverpool stadium the tour that they took them on and the museum wasn't as good as, as United's mm. um, no you're right I think it's falling down they need a new stadium if they're going to be a world class club I'd also last year I've been to Porto to the stadium experience there their tour was A better and B, the museum was was better as well. Let me uh, football tour you. Um, <laughs> I went to Burnley, and oh, one of the great things about thoughts and prayers, yeah, no. <laughs> One of the great things about Burnley, it was actually on the morning of a game, right. and we went into the uh, changing room, and uh, Tom Heaton was the Burnley goalkeeper at the time, and you could see on his on his area where he sits the previous penalties that the opposition had taken, and you could see where the ball had gone in. Uh-huh. Um, but real fascinating insight. It's big business, big business. Um, you know, football tours. It is. Yeah, I tell you what else I've been doing in the last couple, last week. I went to the Talk Talk Women in Tech Awards. At Inside Hotel in Manchester, that was interesting. What will be even more interesting is whether they continue with it next year, because the host was Trista Harrison, the chief executive. I don't know if she's going to be around at Talk Talk next year. She's indicated she's stepping down, and it'd be a great shame if they did, if they did uh, get rid of the event. But they've also cut back a lot of staff as well. You're one of the judges. I noticed actually Helen was, McHugh. Yes. Uh, Helen McHugh is uh, she's she's leaving Talk Talk as well. What sort of numbers did they get at that? Well, it's a standing room only thing. It's not like a sitting down and having tables and all that sort of thing. So there's a couple of hundred people. Mm. Um, I also do my lunch of the month. So I guess it was the end of the month last week with uh, the end of October. And my lunch of the month on my Instagram feature was, drum roll. Uh, it's, it's like a Swedish taste to this. Yeah. Meatballs, yeah. chips and gravy at Ikea with yeah. a dime bar cheesecake afterwards. So yeah. not that northern. Early front runners for the... Uh, Lunch of the month for November are Popeye's chicken in Piccadilly Gardens. Incredible. Me and Matt went there for tea on Saturday. And my perennial favourite, Antalya in Hyde. And, of course, um, Cabana in the northern quarter. Rice and three. I don't know how you're so slim. Because I work out, Chris. Right, so that's it. Anything else? Anything cultural? No, what, what's no, on your agenda no, next week? No, I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm out and about um, across the north. I've got uh, got a few things on, but um, hoping the weather improves. It's uh, I think this time of year, I don't know about you, are you, are you getting all Christmassy? No. Okay. Not yet. No. <laughs> you don't get Christmassy till the 23rd of December. Yes, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, that's all for episode nine of season five of Northern Spin. We'll be interviewing Lou Cordwell, the chair of the business board next week, and also someone who works very closely with Brumwood SciTech. And she had her own business, Magnetic North, who did some amazing digital things. If you want to sponsor the podcast, please get in touch. We're on Apple Podcasts. Please review us. Don't forget to press the subscribe button. Follow us on Twitter at Northern underscore Spin One or watch us on YouTube or kids follow us on tiktok at the dot northern dot spin thank you to what media for recording this podcast our sponsors fi real estate management and assets capital special mention to elliot taylor for his lovely piece of music new beginnings my name is michael taylor my name as always is chris mcguire bringing you good news